Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,368. This week we're celebrating the Pebble Beach Concorde Elegance. It takes place on Sunday, August 20th at the Lodge in beautiful Pebble Beach, California. I hope to see you there. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today, well, today I'm in the oldest town in Austria, and it's with a very special guest by the name of Egon Zweimuller. Egon, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have it in gear? Are you ready to release the clutch? Absolutely. I'm very welcome uh, and uh, hello to America. Absolutely. Well, you'll be coming this way very soon. Actually, uh, yeah, in about a week or so uh, to come over to the Pebble Beach Concours and you're bringing something very special. And we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to give you a proper introduction. We're going to talk about your business and your passion for old cars. However, before we begin... I always like to ask my guests this question. What's one little thing that people may not know about you, Egon? Oh, there's many things people <laughs> do not know about. Uh, so I'm a, a very hidden person. No, I love cars, uh, actually, of course. Uh, and I'm, I was growing up with cars, especially historic cars. But uh, yeah, so there's not that, that much what I'm hiding or what I have to hide. Well, I don't want any big secrets given away, but uh, no doubt you uh, must have a bit of petrol in your bloodstream because the kind of cars that you deal with, oh my gosh, and we're going to be talking about one of them. However, let me give you a quick little introduction here, and then we're going to dive into your life. Egon Zweimuller is the owner of Egon Zweimuller Automobile and Restoration. Since 1964, the company has been passionate about classic, vintage, and competition automobiles. Their profound knowledge, practical experience, trust, and a true passion for cars has made for lasting relationships with their partners and their clients. This summer, Egon will bring a very special McLaren M1A to the lawn at the Pebble Beach Concorde Elegance. It was created by Bruce McLaren and McLaren Racing while Bruce was still driving for Cooper in Formula One. This was the first car to wear the McLaren name and logo, and the car was raced extensively, was later eventually found its way to debut in a movie called Spin Out featuring... Elvis Presley. This is quite interesting. We'll be back in just a moment to learn a lot more about Egon, about the McLaren, and about his world. But first, a word from our sponsors. So please give them a little love. They keep the petrol in the tanks here, and we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up. But my usage was the same, and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations, and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 224 
888-900-9324 and protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. They're talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and first-hand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, Egon, I want to go back in time a little bit because you mentioned you grew up around cars. Take us back in time to growing up, being around cars, and how the business was formed. What landed you into this role? And then we'll take a deeper dive into some of the amazing cars that you sold, I spent some time on your website, and I'm, it's like a kid in a candy store. My gosh, you have touched some magic, my friend. And then we'll take a deeper dive into this McLaren M1A, because it has a very interesting history, too. But let's go back in time first and find out how you got into this business. Yes, actually, I was uh, grown into this that business. My father brought me in, and uh, actually, my father was born in 1941, so that was during the Second World War, and actually he's lost his father very early and never knew him, so he was uh, that poor, and he was uh, grown up by his mother, and uh, actually he had to start really early in his working life. He started working uh, on cars and uh, motorbikes, and in 1955, around that, you know, and as he could not afford uh, a proper new stuff, you know, at that time you had many junkyards, you had stuff laying around, especially pre-war stuff, uh, uh, which was for the kilo price of the metal. Yeah, And that's why he started to find an old uh, Bugatti uh, at that time uh, with a Mercedes uh, diesel engine. He'd bought it for the kilo price and repaired it. And since ever that time, he was fascinated by uh, bringing back a car to its uh, formal glory and, of course, uh, of being in the situation not afford, there was, was nothing affordable, new stuff for him. So he had to repair and polish up the old automobiles, motorbikes and stuff like that. And uh, he'd formed uh, a kind of a paint shop, everything in the, in the private house. And that what actually I'd seen as a little boy. Uh, I was born in 1974, but he'd always kept his love for, uh, for cars. Uh, and uh, he'd went over to America with about all his money because especially... Uh, he'd wanted cars which uh, American soldiers were allowed to take back something if they were on duty here with uh, with the American forces. And he'd looked for cars uh, like old Mercedes's, De La Hayes, uh, Bugatti's, everything what was in America because the Americans had more love affair and especially at that time the Concours uh, meaning an automobile love affair was an American game, not so much an European. And that's why I've seen it. So it's like uh, 
if an old dog uh, teaches a young dog uh, mm -hmm. because the young dog runs beside him. Yeah. And uh, that's what I have done always. Well, to start with a Bugatti, oh my gosh. It's hard to imagine today that those types of vehicles were just sitting in scrapyards and uh, sold for their weight in metal. And obviously we've come an awful long way. And your father... I assume he was self-taught. He just started teaching himself how to do all these these crafts and skills. He had to because actually there were no scholarships or something like that. Like today, my father was somebody who was uh, driven by uh, by his dream to repair something and to build up his own company because he wanted to be his own boss. As you see, I think on the Montana plates on the back, live free or die. Yeah. Actually, he's seen it. He's, he's seen it that way. You know, he wants to have his own company. He wants to be his own boss. Right. And of course, uh, we were always very lucky that uh, we also had good people around us, uh, really special people who really always had a love affair for their handcrafting. And we say Handwerk has, uh, has uh, golden and boden. Uh, so <laughs> that's uh, an Austrian version. If you work with your hands, that's very satisfying. And uh, you always will do that. So the interest in the different technologies of painting in nitrocellulose, uh, so this is lacquer and all these things which were changed because from America we got over different paint technologies. And he was always very interested in that. Uh, and uh, sometimes he had to use uh, old uh, material like uh, nitrocellulose paint, uh, uh, which is lacquer, because it's the only thing what is available. And there you have to be really, really good with the detailing and everything and yes. engines and stuff like that. So we've seen the trade and... Uh, he had to do a lot of things himself, sir, and uh, he taught other people then because he was never greedy and I was never greedy then uh, to, taught, uh, to teach something or let me see to get young people fascinated about it because teaching is the wrong word because if you want to teach something, you want to rule him kind of a thing, yeah? And with our, with my father and with even now with my company, we're doing things, we want the fascination about it and our people love what they are doing and that is the best what you could have well it's a wonderful start to what you've carried on and what you've built and i'm looking at your website and the oh my gosh some of these cars listed here that have passed through your hands i, I just for the listeners uh, you can go and i'll put a link to the website but a 1927 mercedes-benz 680s 550 rs porsche a 65 dino a 166 206 a mercedes-benz 540k the list goes on lancia bugatti the names and the cars that you play with and i'll say play in terms of my vision i know it's a lot of work uh uh, beautiful alphas. Uh, I mean, my goodness. So tell us as we bring this forward to today, the different services and things that your business provides for us enthusiasts. Um, actually, yeah, I think that would take a pretty long time because <laughs> the automotive industry, you know, I see that as uh, something science, uh, mechanical, because I think it's easiest to say the automobile of a special era, especially of the 1930s or 20s, uh, you know, all these decades of cars, they show the artwork of a the time, they show the technical possible, 
of the time on some uh, really top cars. They show the taste of the people. They show a little bit of, as I said, the art, the feeling, everything. So that is all reflected in an automobile. And that is very, very important if you restore a car from the 50s, you know, then you should use the material from the 50s. You should use the material. You should get something like in the mood. So that is really, really difficult. And of course, every nation has something different in the mood as well. So if you're working on a German car, it's not the same as you work on an American car or a French or Italian car. You have to get yourself in the mood, speak to people, look at books. I always say, read, research, and then restore. Yeah, Because it's a 360 degree angle of uh, possibilities uh, yeah. and different angles. And I I never would say that everybody has to see it like me, but uh, getting yourself and the people who work on something to get the best result is, first of all, they have to enjoy. And secondly, they have to have the source of the information and getting into the mood of the time. And that's what we try to do. That's not for everybody because not every client especially would want to go through that process because, of course, that is time-consuming. Time is money. And uh, actually, I always say you could get back uh, lost money, but you never get back lost time. (laughs) And that's why I say on a restoration, sometimes uh, it's better to leave it alone, leave it original, talk it out with the client and get the maximum out. So it is not about the value of the car. It is sometimes even to get the best possible made-to-measure restoration for the client that is really happy with the car and the next generations and could enjoy it and could see originality. Of course, that's what we are specialized in. I was never interested. My father was never interested in always doing the same type of car so that because that is getting you into a circle but you always do the same thing always do one type of car mm-hmm. uh, I think there's other specialists very good ones but that is not for me actually and there's other uh, people who are only doing 300 SLs uh, 328s uh, or that and that you know so I always had a special love affair to really special cars my father did and uh, somehow there's a lot of luck as well to get to the clients and uh, the clients are hearing what you say and you could work out something with the client and with young people and older people. And that mixture, I think, uh, is good as the employees. If young and old works together, uh, you have the benefit of those, uh, of those uh, things. Well, as they say, variety is the spice of life. And definitely when it comes to old cars, uh, variety is the spice of life. And that leads us to the lawn at Pebble Beach this year. I've been fortunate enough to attend the Pebble Beach Concord for 32 years in a row here. And the things I've learned walking that that lawn and the cars I've seen that I never even knew existed uh, just every year blow me away. And this year, a quick list here of what's going to be featured, a Fagoni Centennial, Mercedes-Benz S, SS, and SSK cars, Vanderbilt Cup era race cars. Now we're going way back in time. Pagasso, Porsche 75th anniversary, Lamborghini 60th anniversary. I think I'm getting old looking at these dates. Post-war luxury cars, American dream cars of the 50s, and 
McLaren, the 60th anniversary McLaren, which leads us to a very special McLaren that you're bringing to the lawn this year. And I was so fortunate to have uh, Candace Hawkinson and Sandra Button put you and I together today because you are bringing something very different. And I love race cars. I used to race vintage cars. I want you to talk uh, at length a bit about this McLaren you're bringing because this car not only set the tone for the last 60 years for McLaren, but also has some famous uh, notoriety thanks to Elvis. So let's start with where the car came from. Tell our listeners a little bit more or a lot more about this car and what makes it so special and what they can expect to uh, walk up to on the lawn at Pebble. Uh, Yes, actually, that also, again, is a question which could be answered by a few words only or by a few hours, because actually, (laughs) if you you start there, you know, being Bruce McLaren, and I think that it's very, very necessary for the people and for car lovers, actually, to understand the Bruce McLaren heritage and his life, yeah? Born in New Zealand, and he had a scholarship coming over to England with no money. He more or less was uh, was the David, the David who was fighting against Goliath uh, because of big brands and stuff like that, you know? But uh, if you look at the, at the history of Bruce McLaren building his own car uh, on an Austin 7 basis, making a race car and starting very early on, because there was nothing and you have to see New Zealand they had nothing so they had a lot of uh, a lot of good engineering people there which give them seven or eight things and they build a car around it <laughs> so yeah, that yeah. is uh, <laughs> and that was very very interesting yeah and that would kept me on to McLaren of course the other thing what I always was fascinated I'm a great great Elvis Presley fan I was grown up with Elvis Presley films and Actually, I think uh, you could hear it in my voice uh, <laughs> that I hear Elvis songs every day. And I hope I sound a little bit uh, American because uh, I was grown up with Elvis films, as I said, which Elvis really was not uh, in love with, with some filming, yeah, because he had to do it. Uh, but as a child, you are fascinated by that man because he was growing up very poor as well, like uh, Bruce McLaren, and he had to fight for everything, and he was very talented. Uh, they all had a big love affair to their parents, uh, which uh, I think is something very important to me as well, Elvis and Bruce McLaren. So they had a kind of a similar life and got superstars. So you sometimes in the automotive history, you have one great name on the car yeah on that particular mclaren on the m1a here with chassis number one you have so many great things because it's not it's not only elvis it's bruce mclaren it's graham hill it's phil hill it is so many development features on the car which makes it interesting yeah because it's not a stock car which was built up uh, and was a mass production car you know because uh, Bruce McLaren was really really talented being born in 1937 you know and uh, up for a very long time he was the youngest Grand Prix winner Formula One seen for a long long time with 22 years yeah which was broken then afterwards but that record stood for a long long time and uh, Elvis Presley also was very young very successful because he was superb in what he was doing but uh, with building the McLaren and founding uh, the uh, and racing uh, the the Coopers in a very short form, uh, Bruce McLaren went over on a scholarship. Uh, Jack Brabham actually took him 
by the hand and guided him and uh, Jack Brabham, who also is a fascinating name in motorsport history. Mm-hmm. Jack Brabham and Bruce McLaren went over, they were teamed up. And in 1963, you know, they uh, founded Bruce McLaren Motor Racing Team and they started uh, with two cars. His partner was killed then in 1963 and then in 1964, he had the idea of building a car because he had uh, bought the car from Roger Penske, an old Xerix uh, uh, special, yeah, which which start, started life as a Cooper T53, which is a Formula One car, more or less. And uh, actually, Roger Penske uh, rebuilt it with a fully enveloping body and made kind of a sports car out of it. And uh, the, the guys, the first uh, five employees of Bruce McLaren, made the Xerox special actually at that time a two-seater car and implanted a uh, a Buick or Oldsmobile engine uh, which is the very first aluminum engine which General Motors did uh, on a very very good basis of a very expensive aluminum casting uh, with very high silicate yeah and that that engine actually afterwards formed the the engine basis for the McLaren M1A for the M1B it also the block was used in the Repco Brabham which won the world championship in 66 and 67 oh, with wow. Jack Brabham because they'd used all that same block and that is knowledge what more or less the people do not know, you know, and uh, yeah. General Motors sold the project to Rover uh, to England uh, and they rebuilt the Rover engine on the same three and a half liter block. Yeah. And, oh my uh, gosh, I didn't know uh, that. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that is that engine block, the General Motors stuff and General Motors went back to a cast iron block, which was nothing wrong with it. And actually Bruce McLaren at that time being having the experience with the with the Cooper Sarek special, which is a Cooper car widened. Uh, made into a two-seater, actually. Uh, he had the idea that and that and that uh, is is changed. We have to construct it. And actually, Bruce had nothing there. He uh, actually had to uh, put his five people together. Uh, Wally Wilmot, uh, Howden Ganley, you know, and I've spoken to Howden uh, just uh, about two weeks ago. I invited him to Goodwood. And that is such, such a fascinating character because being the third employee of uh, of Bruce McLaren, they built these first M1 cars and 1A cars in a shop, uh, and uh, Bruce was sketching some things with chalk on on the floor, and they were producing that stuff, but in a very, very high quality. And uh, and uh, they wanted not a Cooper, they wanted a kind of Bruce McLaren design car. Yeah? And everybody thinks that Bruce McLaren started in Formula One. No, it's not, actually. His first car, the M1, was constructed by him in all the details. He constructed the chassis, the uprights, all these things. Uh, of course, in the very, very first tests, of course, it used the uh, uh, Cooper wheels and Cooper uprights and stuff like that. But uh, the Cooper uprights from the Formula One car would have a different uh, angle in the camber and everything and on, on a two-seater car. So Bruce was not satisfied with it and they built it new. They made magnesium castings, which was very, very expensive. But being in England around all these uh, aeronautic uh, and he's been uh, aeronautic engineers who had worked for aircraft because they were really not far away from Heathrow and from the aeronautic uh, companies and engineers, uh, they had a great success uh, with very high-quality people also worked lifelong on aircraft uh, and they produced uh, a, a very, very 
good racing car in 1964. And uh, what makes it very special is because uh, uh, Bruce had more or less no sponsors for that project. Uh, the very first sponsor he got into that uh, McLaren sponsorship actually was uh, was Firestone Tires. Yeah, and Firestone wow. Tires said, yeah, but we are making 15-inch uh, wheels in America and uh, you're using Cooper 13-inch wheels and stuff like that. So, and we only would give you the money if you would get 15-inch wheels. And so <laughs> okay. they casted magnesium 15-inch wheels there and mounted it. Uh, and wow. uh, actually, Howden told me about that because I, of course, was not there at that time. But I've uh, yeah. interviewed so many people over the years, which had to do with the car and every information which is adding is adding big stuff up to that golden golden car. I always called it the golden arrow, like uh, like a silver arrow or the Uhlenhaus Coupe, you know, for McLaren. That is uh, the Elvis, uh, the Elvis car, <laughs> the Elvis McLaren, yeah. which is special because of Bruce uh, put his heart, blood, and sweat and tears all with his team into that car, and uh, it was very very quick. Uh, and at the same time, as, as nobody knows, you know, some, some people know that he had uh, a contract with Ford. You know, he was developing the Ford GT40 at the same time. Yeah, and that brought all the money. And what he'd earned with the Ford GT40, testing in Goodwood and doing all these tests uh, for Ford advanced vehicles, he put the money back into the McLaren M1 uh, project to make that better and to build the first wow. series of cars. Wow. Uh, and uh, actually, that is the first car. Uh, with the with the M1, actually, he was very successful in 1964 uh, and uh, got over to, to Canada with it and America, Riverside, everything. The Americans had very big cars there, yeah, but these cars, the M1 and M1A, actually are built for Group 7, which would be racing against uh, Lola's, especially Ferrari 365Ps. So it was a kind of a European race. It, some people said, would think it's a Can-Am car. No, it's not. It was successful in Can-Am later on, but um, actually it was not built. It was built for Group 7, which was international FI racing, yeah, with regulations as a sports car, you know, like the big, uh, in the 50s, like the big 450 Asses, uh, Maseratis and uh, and 335 uh, Ferraris and stuff like that, yeah. And in America, people seen Bruce McLaren and Wally Wilmot said, you know, that car was super light. It was 180 kilos lighter even than uh, than the GT40, which is mega, and made the car into a duck and dive car because against the very big cars in America, that was really, really drivable like a two-seater Formula One car, which which only Bruce at that time had the experience to develop it and to engineer it because he was driver, he engineered it, he'd worked with the five guys, he built the cars and they knew what they had to do if it would not work. That is so fascinating and all the development work from the M1A, M1 was developed in 64 into the M1A and all that development work then lead into, uh, because the body was designed by, uh, by uh, and made by Peels and then later on by Williams and Williams and Richard, who'd worked for Lister and did Lister bodies and special aluminum stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And only one had an aluminum body. That car had an aluminum body. And that aluminum body later on was used uh, for the series of 20 cars as a mold uh, 
in a kind of a uh, composite uh, car, which was even lighter. They thought it's lighter, but they, <laughs> it was so thick that in the end it was heavier than the very thin gauge aluminum stuff. And they built the car. Bruce McLaren built the car, tested the car at Goodwood. And with the first test, he was super, super quick. Uh, the M1 is the fastest car ever done a lap in Goodwood, uh, uh, because that was closed in 65. And even uh, Graham Hill in the Formula One BRM was a lot quicker, you know. He, uh, wow. the, the quickest time was driven with the McLaren M1A Elva. And uh, then the, uh, the car was uh, repaired for the uh, Earl's Court uh, Motorsport Show, race car show, which happened in June, I think, or February 1965 uh, there which uh, Sterling Moss was there, all the great racing drivers, and the star of the car act uh, of the show was uh, the McLaren, the first one with the brand. So it was not a special like the Sarek special uh, or a combination of McLaren and Cooper parts. It was so 100% Bruce, he said, with that mm-hmm. car because there was nothing used uh, in that car from uh, from from Cooper or any other uh, racing car manufacturer, and uh, in America it did a big wave, and people wanted a car like that. Uh, so he uh, sold the second car. He sold to Switzerland to uh, to Mr. Fergale, and the other cars then were sold very quickly to America. Dan Gurney, all the great guys drove uh, a car like that, especially Dan Gurney, which is very famous in the States. Uh, and he had a car with 77 on it uh, on some races like in Riverside. And uh, that particular chassis number one, actually, uh, Bruce uh, tested. And as he'd always was not satisfied because he always wanted to make it better and better, he transformed the car and made it better, really and uh, sold it then to John Coombs, because John Coombs, a Jaguar dealer here and a, and a very, very good friend of him at that time, because John Coombs gave him the chance in 1959 to drive sports cars when uh, Bruce was not that famous. And when he came over, he had the chance to drive uh, different sports cars, uh, which belonged to Mr. Coombs. Mr. Coombs bought it and had Graham Hill as a racing driver for races. And then they did uh, races like Silverstone, Graham Hill did. And we all uh, forget, you know, uh, Graham Hill wears the uh, the triple crown. You know, he won uh, Indianapolis. He won Monaco. Uh, he won uh, Le Mans. He was called Mr. Monaco. So he was a very, very famous person making the Grand Prix film with James Garner uh, like uh, like all the guys, like uh, Phil mm-hmm. Hill, you know, that was a quite a bit of a circle of people, uh, which is very very interesting. And then the car was uh, was uh, at the Big Banger Show, Guards Trophy, um, which it raced against uh, Bruce McLaren, raced uh, a McLaren M1, but not that particular car. Uh, Graham Hill raced that car, number one. Uh, Surtees raced the car. Uh, Mike Parks raced a Ferrari, and uh, Jackie Stewart was racing a T70. So very, very good field, and and the McLaren's been really successful because they were so nimble. And uh, then John Holmes had the idea because of the high price money, we would send the car to America because the price money in America was was really ridiculously much higher than in Europe. And so the car found its way over to Riverside, uh, where Graham Hill has driven it. And there's really good films on ESPN from the time, from 65. Uh, and uh, he'd raced it there. 
that's where Jerry Antin has seen the car. Uh, Jerry being a good sports car racer and a gentleman racer, as we would call it here in Europe. And uh, Jerry Antin actually bought the car via Graham Hill. And uh, actually how it comes, you know, that is, there is no thousand percent proof, but Elvis Presley might have seen the car there, the Riverside uh, race there, which is not confirmed, but I was told by uh, his secretary a long time ago that he was there and he got the fascination for, for cars always and motorbikes. And he said, yeah, that car is interesting. Uh, but uh, he, then he got it out of his eyesight. And then Terry Antin bought the car from John Coombs and paid it. Uh, and Terry Antin actually living in Beverly Hills uh, and racing cars all over the place in SCCA races, uh, Sports Car Club of America races, together with SIE. His first race was at the Stardust Grand Prix uh, on the 11th of November uh, 1965, Jerry did, and that's very interesting because that year there will be the Las Vegas Grand Prix, Formula One Grand Prix in November as yeah. well. Yeah, that's interesting. And Jerry then raced the car all over the place in the states, yeah, like Laguna Seca, Willow Springs, uh, etc. And the car never stopped racing. And they had a call from uh, from uh, Bruce Kessler, film manager, from uh, making a film, two or three films with Elvis Presley. And Elvis said, yeah, we want to make a race movie like now. Then uh, Jerry got the car there because Elvis wanted to use that car. Uh, Elvis was, uh, was driving a Cobra. I do not have to explain the, the story of the car. He has right. lots of singing. And girls and cars, uh, which is uh, is superb, yeah. Elvis is, of course, when they do some laps uh, in the film scenes, uh, which were done at Paramount Ranch. And Paramount Ranch, the, the, the engineering or the, the basic track was, was done by uh, or created by Miles, uh, uh, Ken Miles. So yeah. another history, which is an interesting feature. Then they did the filming and of having a guarantee for the car, you know, actually the car went uh, went to the uh, to Elvis Presley, uh, but uh, then management was not really happy about that because Elvis is a race driver, you know, if he could hurt himself, so they have yeah. to stop. All filming the money could dissolve. <laughs> yeah, all all the money could go could go off because he made about a million dollars at that time, you know, uh, on on the film, and in the end, uh, the the profit they make on the on, in the cinemas. He was a good driver, you know, because I've spoken to the stuntmen who did the films, and there is letters of the stuntmen from when Elvis was testing the car, etc., and when he was when they were doing some film scenes that's what uh, Alden Genley told me uh, very very nice and best wishes to him uh, if he hears that he was over there in 1966 when the film was made because uh, uh, he was sent over by Bruce McLaren to Draco Travis and Coons at the at Calfa City in uh, in Los Angeles uh, they made the Formula One project engine for Bruce McLaren big story Draco very, very big, talented guys. They made the Scarab engines. Uh, they uh, had access to 300 SLR from the Ford Museum. They copied the valve train of that car, the Desmodromic valve train. They made uh, the Penske engines. Uh, they also made the Penske 512 Ferrari engine, which really lasted superb. So they were really specialists. And at that time, you know, the McLaren uh, in the film uh, by Elvis Presley, and uh, somebody was 
really not uh, not happy with the filming or he wanted to block it and uh, that's what Howden told me somebody put some some uh, some ball bearings into the oil filler and, and then made a, a noise in the engine and other people say that Elvis overreffed the engine over 7,000 and uh, then they made him on the ref counter there's a story that there's a dollar sign if you ref it up to that at 7,000 <laughs> how many 7, racers put the dollar sign on their rev limiter yeah <laughs> yeah so so there's, uh, there's a story and then they brought it back to Draco and they repaired the engine and then it could stop the filming uh, and could go on with the filming. And uh, at the end, uh, after the filming and of some test sessions uh, with the car, uh, the the car was put back from the Elvis film and from Elvis uh, uh, to Cherry Enton and Cherry Enton and bought another McLaren and raced other cars. And uh, then it stayed in America with uh, with uh, Dick Governor, who actually raced it up, you know, in up uh, to a very long time because that car. Some cars are restored, but that car is interesting because it is a lifelong. Every owner put his stamp on it, but mm-hmm. it is totally original. So that means uh, it's original chassis, it's original uh, body, uh, it's original gearboxes. All the parts which have been with it lifelong since 1964 are with the car, and they've used that, and, and the car was never crashed uh, uh, and raced in so many races. So that is inspiring as well because the car is not raced uh, or is not restored to the purpose uh, of of one step in time mm-hmm. it shows like a layer of a tree you see all the year rings on it because you see different colors on the car if you look really it looks fantastic uh, actually but you could read in the car like a book on the parts and everything so it is not a trailer queen so it, it had always a racing life and uh, it never stopped racing Wow, this is incredible. What what a history and we're so fortunate for you to bring this car over here to to share uh with us here to g- bring it back to America and uh display it and for you listeners uh, you can tell by the story here think of all the cars that are going to be on the lawn at Pebble. Each one has a story like this and this is just part of the story. I mean, it goes on and on and on. So, I mean, your knowledge and expertise on this vehicle is absolutely splendid. And and I can't thank you enough for for sharing this. If people want to learn more about your business, how can they learn more about it? Yeah, uh, that is uh, very, very difficult because actually my business is not something you could spread out. You have to have a lot of love for it. Yeah. And if you're very interested in that, uh, please give me a ring and call me yeah and uh, and mm-hmm. that's it because i'm more or less an, an old style person but if they want to learn more about the business and if i could do something i'm always uh, here on the phone uh and uh and answer questions uh if if i can and of course if i'm uh, uh if i could help uh restoring a car bringing a car to its formal glory then uh you're all really really welcome uh, because i do it with heart and with brain and my people here as well because i'm only as good as the team is yeah because it is today it's grown to a size in the business uh, what i could not do alone i'm really happy to have a small but a really perfect team of people around the world not only here in my business uh, i have good contacts in america I have good contacts in England, in Italy. Uh, if if I could not do it myself, then I will find somebody who could do it best. It's the right way to run a business. 
I want you to leave us, if you would, please, with some words of inspiration, maybe a success quote or a mantra, something that has to do with this marvelous world of, of old cars. That is very, very difficult wisdom. You know, I'll hope I'll hope I'm still too young for wisdom. Uh, and I have a lot of time uh, because I have to get 100 years old uh, because there's many projects waiting and there's lots of things which I want to do uh, with cars. Yeah. And uh, of course, I think I would want to close it now with the with a song of Elvis, yeah, which is quite um, quite uh, fits to the car now. A little less conversation, a little more action. <laughs> no, that is perfect. Wow, what a nice way to, to end a, a wonderful conversation. I'll uh, remind all the listeners here. If you can make it to the Pebble Beach Concord Elegance, whether it's your first time or your 33rd time like me or anywhere in between or after that, this uh, year will be extra special. And one of the things that will make it extra special is uh, Egon and this McLaren because, oh my gosh, what a history that it has. Egon, I want to thank you for spending so much time with me today, taking a little break out of your busy schedule. Uh, I cannot wait to see the car and to see you on the lawn. Uh, Until then... I'll see you down the road. Mark, it was a really, really, really a pleasure for me. Very relaxed uh, here. And I go back to work now. Really, really <laughs> thank you. And please come and see the come and see the car, hear it, and feel it. Absolutely. Yes. A little less talk, a little more action. So there you go. Exactly. Super. Did you know that Cars Yeah is in the top 1% of all podcasts? based on listenership, according to Libsyn, the premier RSS feed for podcasts in the United States. That's right. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Cars Yeah is one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Cars Yeah has experienced tremendous growth, plus your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Cars Yeah every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique and very personal way? Well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at mark at carsyeah.com or through the website at carsyeah.com today to learn more. 20, 50, or 100 years from now, will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles we love? With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles aren't lost to time. One of the many ways RPM, which is short for Restoration preservation, and mentorship is accomplishing this goal is through workforce development initiatives. The RPM apprenticeship program enables the next generation of artisans to earn a living while they learn the craft of restoring and preserving these vehicles directly from industry professionals. The Endangered Skills Program documents the process of masters training future craftspeople on a variety of critical skills in danger of being lost forever. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skills trade, visit RPM Foundation today. They're one of the charities of choice here on Cars Yeah! Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up! 
a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!